Amen. Well, great uh, singing this morning about our Lord, who is our strength and our hope. And uh, we get to learn more about him now from the Gospel of John. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 41 this morning. You did not read incorrectly in your Bibles. We are going to look at the rest of John chapter 9 this morning. It is a lengthier passage, but as it is a narrative and uh, it kind of uh, coheses with the rest of the, uh, uh, the what we studied last week in the verse 7 verses, but it, it is uh, just uh, so much that we need to cover, but it's uh, important for us to do so because of the connections that we see here this morning. So as I mentioned last week in our study of Gospel of John, we saw how Jesus showed the disciples that God had a purpose and the man who was born blind that they encountered on their walk. That for this very moment of God showing his works in Christ was the reason that the man was born blind. This morning we see the continuation of this encounter and begin to see the growing faith of a blind man versus the growing resentment and hatred of the religious leaders toward Jesus. Uh, We're going to uh, read just verses 8 through 17 this morning as our New Testament scripture reading, and then we'll be looking, of course, at the rest of uh, it together in our time. Uh, But you may remain seated this morning as I read aloud to follow along. This is from the English Standard Version. Uh, The Gospel of John, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, starting in verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him, this is the blind man or previous blind man, before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought, to the, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What did you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Would you join me once again in prayer before we dig into our study? Lord, we thank you that by your grace and mercy you have gotten us up this morning and brought us to this place for worship and song and in fellowship and in giving as we uh, might uh, be able to this morning and uh, Lord as well now in your word and we pray that as we study your word together that you would illuminate our eyes by your Holy Spirit who inspired these texts in the original autograph so that we might uh, learn and grow and uh, Lord be strengthened in our faith t- this morning and as well Lord that if there are those who do not know you, that today might be the day that they would come to know you through turning from their sin and trusting in Christ alone. So we pray for all these things, Lord. We pray that uh, we would uh, worship you in this time, and I pray that you would get me out of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Some of you may remember a 1971 song called Signs by a Canadian rock group called The Five-Man Electrical Band, a song which regained popularity when it was covered again by the band Tesla in the 1990s. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of you rockers know what I'm talking about. The verses are generally about how signs are usually distracting or belittling of people, keeping certain kinds of people out and restricting freedoms. The last verse says, And the sign said, Everybody welcome, come in, kneel down and pray. But when they passed around the plate at the end of it all, I didn't have a penny to pay. So I got me a pen and a paper, and I made up my own little sign. I said, thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. I'm alive and doing fine. Apparently, this seeks to show the hypocrisy of churches welcoming people in and then passing around an offering plate at the end for giving, something that should not be compulsory, obviously. But it's it's the line about how his own sign that captures my own attention. Thanks, Lord, I'm doing okay. I don't need to be bothered by this God stuff. I'm good. And we must see that this is the response from both sides of those who reject God ultimately. The non-religious person who says, I don't need God in my life, and the religious person who says, I got this, God, don't worry. It is the latter whom Jesus encounters mainly in his earthly ministry. It's, it's the latter kind of person who says, God, don't worry about me. You and I, we're good. That Jesus encounters mostly in his earthly ministries. And they generally have had the same reaction to the signs of Jesus. That is in the final verse of the song, Signs. Each miracle of Jesus is a clear sign of verification of who he is and that he is who he claims to be. And yet, even in this case, the man upon whom Jesus performed this miracle must not look to the miracle itself, but to the one who healed him. So even in the case of the one who is born blind, he must not look to the sign itself, but the one uh, uh, one who did the sign upon him. We really see two different trajectories in this passage this morning. The continued downward spiral of the religious leaders in their unbelief and the upwardness of the growth of faith of the man who was healed. Here's the main idea this morning. see this written for you on the back of your uh, worship folder and hopefully our live stream is up and running. We had a little issue with it earlier if you happen to be watching from home. Uh, the email that Lori sent out earlier. Here's the main idea. True saving faith is not in the sign, but in the one to whom the sign points. True saving faith is not in the sign, but in the one to whom the sign points. And we can have things so obviously right in front of us, and we can have the response of the Pharisees who say, don't worry about me, God, I'm good. I want us to see this morning five testimonies of progress in the belief of the former blind man. Five testimonies of the progress of, in the belief of the former blind man. The first one we see is the seeing man testifies to his neighbors in 
verses 8 through 12. The seeing man testifies to his neighbors. Look at verses 8 and 9 again with me. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. The fact that they were arguing over whether or not this was the man born blind shows the incredible nature of what Jesus had done. It is him, it's not him, and he keeps on saying, I am the man. It's kind of funny to think about this scene. There's a few humorous scenes within this event today that we'll see together, and much of it revolves around the progression of this man's faith. I mean, clearly, to him, he understands that he is the man, and, and, and though he is standing there and uh, ex- expressing to them that he is the man, they continue to argue. Is it him? Is it not him? And he's going, it's me! <laughs> But it's so unbelievable to them. Could this be the very same man who for his entire life up until this moment has sat here begging as a blind man? And as we pointed out last week in that culture, um, there would, be, would have been an understanding of some sort of sin in this man's life that had caused this, even from the point of birth. And really, if the scene weren't so sad in some sense, it would be comical. And I think it's okay for us to laugh a few times in the midst of this passage because there are some funny moments, uh, especially surrounding the, the way this man talks. The way in which this whole event unfolds continues to show the skepticism of those around Jesus, even in the face of such a miraculous sign. This is reflective of even some in our own day who might say, if God would only show me a sign, then I would believe. This shows that for some, there is never a good enough sign. And we see even this reaction as we move on in the text. What greater sign is there, by the way, than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? The final sign of His conquering over sin and death. And that is what we are to proclaim, dear ones, to a world that is watching on to see what it is we believe. That is our gentle and respectful answer. The Lord Jesus Christ is who He says He is, and that is proven by the resurrection. They finally listen to the man and, with a hint of continued skepticism, ask. Look at what it says in verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? It's amazing that this is the response rather than the total unhindered worship of God for this man being able to see again. It's not, oh my goodness, it is you. How is this possible? Let us worship a God who can do such a thing. How is it that you were able to see? Now we understand, we want to be fair. If this man was the man, and he is, who was born blind from birth, why they would ask such a question? And moving on, we see his response in verse 11. He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Notice a few things here in this man's response. First of all, he says, The man called Jesus. This is the first step in this man understanding who Jesus is. Jesus is indeed a man. He is not only a man, but he is a man. 
This is, again, a point that we have sought to emphasize in our understanding of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he took on humanity truly. He is truly a man. This is a point that John later on in his epistles in the first John has to emphasize because of a a creeping um, um, heresy that is coming into the church that says that Jesus perhaps was just sort of a spiritual person, not truly a man. But John says, no, we touched him. So he is not only a man, but he is a man. He relays how Jesus anoints his eyes with mud and tells him to go to Siloam and wash. And when he did, he received his sight. Again, we focused in on how this man believed in this action that Jesus told him to do. Go and wash your eyes. Wash this mud off of your eyes and you'll be able to go and see. Jesus uh, performed the miracle and uh, the man um, had a responsibility to believe and to go wash his eyes. There's nothing spectacular, though, about this request of Jesus for him to do this. In fact, there's everything unclean and unspectacular about it. And yet, when the man does as Jesus says, he who was born blind receives sight. As I mentioned last week, there is a microcosm of the cross here. The the, the world is dumbfounded by the simplicity of the gospel, that the God-man would die in the place of sinners, and that through faith in him you can receive eternal life, baffles those who are deceived and who are enemies of God. Their next response is not to be amazed at the man who is standing there as one who was blind but now can see, giving testimony of what Jesus did, but rather to ask where Jesus is. Look at verses 10 through 12. So they said to them, then how was your, how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go wash in Siloam. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. To this man, to this, the man responds that he does not know where Jesus is. And that causes the people to respond by bringing him to the Pharisees, which is our second testimony. The seeing man testifies to the Pharisees in verses 13 through 17. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. What strikes you about this verse? They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Doesn't that just strike you? They recognize that this is the man who had been blind from birth. And they are bringing him to the Pharisees. They cannot help but understand what has happened. Now there is a sense in which one needed to present themselves to the Pharisees as one who is now no longer unclean but clean as we see in other instances in the scripture. But this seems to be more about um, a verification from the Pharisees of what exactly is going on here. But they cannot question the fact that this was the man who was once blind. Now the Pharisees are questioning him, as John gives us an important detail in verses 14 and 15. Look at what it says. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. They are or John is making us aware of the fact that it's a Sabbath day, which comes into play, obviously, here in a bit. This guy is starting to be done with this questioning here. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. I so badly wanted to write in my Bible after that. Any other questions, geniuses? 
But this is the first telling that he has said, but, but it seems that he is beginning to tire of these questions. I mean, can you imagine being blind your entire life and suddenly being able to see? And this is what, he's like, I want to go down to the Jordan and get a look at that at this point. Like, stop asking me questions. I want to use these peepers, right? But he's still having to go through these questions. So then a dispute arises among the Pharisees in verse 16, which leads them to asking the man to settle it in verse 17. Some of the verse, uh, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, speaking of Jesus, of course, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Again, are we not struck by the phrasing of their question? Here is a man who had been blind from birth standing before them, and instead of being amazed, they are quizzing him about Jesus. But notice the former blind man's answer here. He moves from the man, Jesus, to he is a prophet, which, of course, he is a prophet. In fact, as we've discussed Earlier in the Gospel of John, he is the prophet. As we've shown earlier in John, this title was one of Israel's hopes that the prophet spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 would come. This is him. Here he is, uh, having performed this sign, now not being able to be seen by the one to whom he gives sight, but knowing that Jesus was the one who did it. He says, I don't know where he is, but he is a prophet. The man Jesus did this, and now the progress of this man's faith, the wheels are turning. I mean, think about it in regard to what this man knows and understands from the Old Testament. It's only the prophets who do these kinds of things. We've talked about this before. Moses was a prophet. He performed signs. Elijah was a prophet. He performed signs. But really, there are these sort of Minimal eras throughout the scripture where these kinds of signs are being done. And so this man's starting to put together this um, theology of, okay, he's a man, but he caused me to see, so he must be a prophet. What we're witnessing is one who has been healed by having his physical eyes open and now begin to become spiritually healed by having his spiritual eyes open. And rather than the Pharisees' inquisition raising doubts, it is actually grounding him more in what he is beginning to understand about Jesus. But the Pharisees aren't having it. Let's continue on. Thirdly, the seeing man's parents now testify in verses 18 through 23. The seeing man's parents now testify. So first the man testifies to his neighbors. Then he testifies to the Pharisees. The Pharisees say, your testimony is not good enough. They will not believe until they speak with his parents. Look at verses 18 and 19. The Jews, and and remember anytime we see that um, article, the Jews like that, it's typically talking about the Pharisees and maybe even more the religious leaders now, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight which is, um, (laughs) I mean, uh, unbelievable at this point, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
On the one hand, you want to commend the Pharisees for their seeking of the truth. On the other hand, as we will see, even as the truth is verified, it is not going according to their plan, so they do not accept it. So they just, let's just make sure here that this is indeed the man. Even though he has testified for himself, let's call his parents. And so they do. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does now he see? And the parents' response is so interesting. His parents, verse 20, answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. The parents affirm that this is their son and who was indeed born blind. And they do know that he is able to see, but they do not know how he is able to see. But the parents fear. They fear. At verses 22 and 23. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. It's interesting, isn't it? Even though the parents themselves must be amazed at what has occurred with their son, they fear. They had known him from birth. They had, at some point along the way in his growth, began to see signs that he could not see. They are certainly, at this point, understanding that something miraculous has occurred, and yet they fear. Why such fear? Why such fear? What they fear here is excommunication from the synagogue. And essentially what we have to understand is an excommunication from Judaism and an excommunication from life in all reality. An excommunication from uh, economic excommunication, as it were. This was all of life for them. This is all they know. Judaism is their life. And if one is to follow Jesus, the Pharisees are saying, you're to be put out of Jewish life. It's not just, um, I'll be put out of the synagogue so I can go down to the synagogue down the street and figure out if I like it there or if they'll accept me there as being the parents of this, of this blind man who, can, who now can see. No, this is being excommunicated from the Jewish life. And let me tell you, this is true today as well. To follow Jesus... You must see him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, the foretold Messiah. I know I've shared before the story of uh, being in uh, London in the mid-2000s and interacting with two Sikh girls, S-I-K-H, the religion. And knowing that even though they were nominally Sikh, that if they were to follow Jesus, that would mean not only an abandonment of Sikhism, but an abandonment of their life and their family. And so when they learned of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had to weigh the cost. They had to weigh the cost of following Jesus versus losing their family. And here we see this Jewish couple faced with the same 
idea that they might lose their Jewishness, their life as Jews, if they were to follow Jesus as Messiah, or even give credence to the fact that their son has been healed by him. So we see there's a cost to following Jesus. And so these parents, out of fear of being cast out of everything that they know, say, talk to him. He is of age. We get an idea then of probably uh, at least uh, in his you know, 20s or 30s here, uh, maybe older, but uh, this verification, though they say it is their son and he can see again, they say, ask him. So the fourth testimony is that the seeing man testifies to the Pharisees. Again, look at verse 24. So for the second time they called him, called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man, that is Jesus, is a sinner. Give glory to God. In one sense, we again have to commend them that they recognize that it is God who works and does these sorts of things. They recognize it as something from God. They were, but they refuse to see, therefore, that Jesus is tied to it in any way because they say that Jesus is a sinner. You see the the two sides of the coin here. You need to give glory to God, but it can't be that this man is the one who has done it. He is a sinner. Once again, this former blind man isn't having it. He answered, verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. (laughs) I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But the evidence is right before you. I once was blind, but now I see. He is about done with this questioning. He's becoming exasperated. Look at what it says in verses 26 and 27. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. What, do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I mean, he is becoming right down, uh, uh, downright snarky at this point. Why are you so interested in this man? Why do you want to find him? Do you want to find him so that in order, when you do, you can follow him too? Because clearly I can see now. And they revile against the man. Verse 28, they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. There is almost no more heartbreaking verse in the Bible than this. They do not understand. They do not understand that Moses spoke of the coming of Jesus. We know, they say in verse 29, God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. It's really interesting that they say that, isn't it? When Jesus has continually said to them, I am from the Father. I come down from heaven. And they refuse. They absolutely refuse to hear it. In fact, we continue to see the hardness of their hearts even here in this passage by phrases like, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And the man simply unloads on them at this point in verse 30. The man answered, 
why this is an amazing thing. You don't know, do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. <laughs> we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Do you see the juxtaposition here? Do you see the light that this man is beginning to see as his faith progresses in the downward spiral of the Pharisees? Notice his attention to the fact that this has never been done before. And think about our Old Testament reading this morning and also other passages from Isaiah which say, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and the darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. This is messianic. This is messianic. You see, it's true that others had been given sight but no one who had been blind from birth. This man understands what he has been given here. In fact, we could say that maybe what he is beginning to see is what Jesus says earlier, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Is that not what he says here? We know, verse 31, that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. What does Jesus say earlier in the Gospel of John? I do all that my Father tells me. All that I see him doing, I do. All that I hear from heaven, that is what I desire to do. And, of course, uh, with this great gospel message, these Jewish leaders repent and believe, right? No. Verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Their response, you were born in utter sin. Since you were born blind, we know that you are a sinner But we have our law affirming to us that we are righteous. And they cast him out. They excommunicate him from the synagogue and from Jewish life. It is here we see they are completely and utterly self-righteous. The final testimony is the testimony of the man to Jesus. Number five, the seeing man truly sees and believes. Look at what it says. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Here is Jesus now, finding this man who has just been cast out of Jewish life and offering to him a new life in him, a new family, as it were. The man says to him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And I think the man knows. (laughs) I think at this point, all, all else that he has said, he has begun to figure this out. 
And he says, you have seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. He said, Lord, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe. You have seen him. You were once blind, but now you see. Physically, you are able to see him. And now spiritually, you are able to see him. Your eyes have not only been opened physically, your spiritual eyes are opening. You have testified as to who I am. And it is me who stands before you that am. I am he. And he says, Lord, I believe. Now it is not a man only, not a prophet only, but now Lord, And we know that in this time period, when someone is called Lord, they are ascribed the deity. By the way, how do we know this? He worships him. He worships him. Only God deserves worship. And notice that Jesus doesn't say to him, don't worship me. Jesus receives this worship because Jesus is God. He's the eternal son of God. And in the final moments of this event, we see Jesus' condemning words and interactions with the Pharisees. Look at these final words with me. We'll expound them a little bit and then give our final thoughts. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus' words here are absolutely stinging. They are a rebuke. In reality, the Pharisees believe that they see and have no need of him. They do not believe themselves to be spiritually blind, but already reconciled to God. And Jesus expresses this in other ways in the, in the Gospels. He says, I did not come to heal the, those who are well. I came to heal the sick. Those who think themselves to be well. Those who think themselves able to see. Do not see their need and therefore will not come to me. Jesus has continued to show that he is the long-awaited Messiah and the Son of God. But they refuse to believe him even when he is uh, verified to be so through signs. We once again, at the end of our time here, see that humanity is faced with two options. They can see their sins, for what they are, and trust in the only one who cannot only forgive their sins, but give them his righteousness. That is trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as we will see in the coming weeks, after having lived the perfect life, will give that life for those who sinned against him and are his enemies, and he will rise again. That's one option. The other option is that one can... Simply believe that they are fine and they have no need of God. They have no need of Jesus and the Spirit. They can simply believe that the sign of spiritual blindness is uh, in need of sight does not apply to them. And they will die in their sins and give glory to God through His justice upon His enemies. If you are in Christ this morning, my call to you is to rest in the truth of the gospel. Rest today in the truth of the trueness of one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ being saved, being reconciled to God, having their spiritual eyes that are blind, able to see, being brought from death to life. 
And as well, our responsibility, especially as we talk about the local assembly here, is that we would walk with each other, pointing each other back to that truth and resting in that truth as well. And then finally, my call to those who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is that you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, some say if you would only give a sign that they would believe. And you have given the greatest sign. You have sent your eternal son into this world where he has put on flesh, where he lived a perfect life, where he endured the sin and shame that we should have endured upon the cross, where he bore the sins of the many who would be called the sons of God, reconciling them to yourself meeting out justice upon the cross and being raised again three days later, ascending to the right hand of the Father where His enemies will be made as footstools and coming again for us, Lord. We thank You for that truth and we pray for those who have not trusted in that truth, in that sign, that ultimate sign. For those of us who have, Lord, we pray that we would walk faithfully with You, that we would encourage others with this truth, that we would be encouraged by others as we walk through hard times And Lord, that those who do not know you would come to know you today through faith in Christ. And we pray that as we go on our way, that if there are those who do not know you, they would come and speak with me or with the other pastors or with a friend today, someone here within this local assembly. But Lord, that we would go forth and that we would serve you and love one another throughout this week until we meet again. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.